0: And one of the biggest differences is the collector interaction. I have a lot of collectors of my physical work that are friends, but that I think isn't normally the case. I think mainly the gallery deals with those interactions and you have studio visits and things, but that's about it. Whereas in this world, in the NFT world, there seems to be an abundant amount of communication with collectors and an expectation from collectors of pretty much immediate access to the artists and collectors. Being on Twitter, hey, show me your art. I'm gonna buy some art. Those kind of things, which those things I think that's kind of that's cool. You could find discover new art that you never would have found otherwise. That doesn't tend to happen in the in the traditional art world.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Floor is Rising. With us today, Kizu and Sabretooth, um, special guest Cole Sternberg. Cole is a critically acclaimed Contemporary artist um, who is just coming into NFTs. In fact, his uh, latest NFT drop will be happening on June tenth. Cole, welcome to the podcast. Uh,
0: thanks for having me,
2: Cole. Tell us um, how you know. Did you first? I think it's getting to NFTs. Tell us. Tell us that kind of origin story.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, it's hard to really pinpoint because, in a way, that journey probably began with any digital relationship i have with art but then more specifically when nfts came to to prominence i started talking with a few of my friends that are nft artists and a few that are not nft artists and but were interested in it and it, it sort of started germinating in my mind and you know is this a place that made sense for my practice or not um and that was that was probably about a year, a year and a half ago. And then that sort of sent me down this rabbit hole of of research and, and figuring out exactly what I could do and learning the vast, you know, world of entities and capabilities of computers and coding and everything. Uh, so, so it's kind of hard to say, but probably the last year and a half.
2: And, and uh, I mean, I, I noticed that, uh, your entrance into the sort of the NFT world was is, is Vicon art blocks, generative art. Um, that obviously is a is a deliberate kind of choice. Can you you know talk about I guess how you made, I guess the decision to to enter the NFT field in that particular genre slash format?
0: Sure. Yeah. So in that sort of research and discovery, well, there's really two parts. One is in that Research, I became really drawn to the concept of digital generative art. I mean, I always knew Saul LeWitt and traditional Lillian Schwartz and stuff—traditional artists that were, made generative work—but I didn't fully understand the potential of generative work in terms of of coding and and the and what you could do. So that that got me pretty excited. And then I thought, well, this is a real pure idea of nfts that it, it takes advantage of the technology in a way that's a direct link it would be really easy for me to to have jpegs you know of make physical art and take jpegs or something and you know create nfts that way which is fine too but it didn't seem to really embrace the technology that's inherently tied to nfts so i thought well if i'm going to do this i should do the thing that at least I perceive as as um, as the most inherently tied to the medium. Uh, it's probably one of the more difficult things too. So <laughs> that that was a bit a bit of a challenge. Um now I forgot what the other thing I was gonna say is, but basically I, I wanted to I wanted to push myself a little bit further and harder and all of my projects. Are conceptually tied together, but are all sort of new challenges and new formats. And I didn't want the medium to be a barrier, but the medium to be a positive addition to what I was making. This project that that you're
1: dropping in a couple of days, um, it struck me that you know you've tied um, this idea of the environment, the physical environment, um, which has often helped to create your work um, in a physical sense, to um, the blockchain aspects of it so you know you have um for example um if i'm not wrong you're going to have 487 uh unique works as part of of this project called um excuse me the spring begins with the first rainstorm and you know as, as part of that for example you have uh what you call the genesis edition which is a collection if i'm not mistaken within the project itself uh, that's reserved for the first 48 Minters. Um, and I quote from your website, it says, the, the Genesis edition is a physical manifestation of Mint itself, uh, the physical forces represented, and the conceptual drive of the project. Um, could you talk a little bit more about, um, obviously, I think you know, folks who are not as familiar with your practice might um, find it hard to digest all of that. It's quite dense. But could you say a little bit more about how Uh, conceptually and and physically um all these various themes come together in
0: in this in this project that you have coming up sure so so as a little bit of background i mean my work for 20 years has involved erasure and more specifically humans kind of erasing our presence from the earth um, intentionally or non-intentionally and in the last six years or so The earth itself has become a composer of the works. So I was on the maiden voyage of a shipping vessel across the Pacific painting. And one day I got the nerve to throw a painting into the water and drag it um, next to the boat. And I pulled it up and it felt like this strange miracle. It felt it changed structure completely. It looked like light fracturing through water. And all the human hand, meaning my brush strokes, basically disappeared washed away and restructured itself kind of so I was very excited about this idea of the earth composing things and I've been doing that for the past few years now and you, you see light fracturing but you see water rippling the patterns of dirt and reptiles and trees and all these different things emerge when you expose paintings physically to the elements not just dragged behind a boat, but left in wind and rain and painted it on the ground instead of on the wall in my studio. So that, that broad idea of erasing the human hand and giving it back to the earth, I wanted, I wanted to address that in the digital form. And then this is the other reason I like the generative work because you're taking away the human hand via the code or, or via the computer, however you want to look at it. So it just, it looked like another way to communicate this broad idea of of taking away the human hand. So then it got tricky because I wanted both things merged together. And it was important for me to maintain the earthly patterning, but you use the amazing amount of capabilities of the computer. For example, color washes, you know, it's, it takes me a long time to color wash one one painting and to change the, those colors without affecting the layers behind it. Whereas this, I went in and I picked, I think it's about 320 specific colors in the RGB realm of you know, numerical codes. Um, and the computer could select which five of those or four of those, depending on the work it wanted to use. And and how they're applied and all these things, I thought, oh, wow, this is, an, this is the same thing as the earth, that, at least in terms of my feelings. Like This can do something a little bit further than I'm capable of doing on my own. So I thought, OK, great, let's try to merge these things together and continue a dialogue conceptually but also visually that feels like my paintings and other work while really embracing generative work and technology p 5 js and you know moving moving forward in that way and it just took a very i'm not i'm not a developer i had the help of a bunch of developers um mainly the help and advice of rob dixon known as radix who's also on our blocks and he's a great friend and kind of guru in this to me now um to help me learn learn how to work with this code and and make something special that's still conceptually linked. Oh, and then the Genesis edition, sorry. Yeah, I I thought it would be nice to develop some kind of physical compendium to the work. And the only way I could think of that was really taking each person's mint, making a print, but putting it on this nice maple wood that I like pairing that with a rock i tend to walk around and collect rocks and the official rock of california is the serpentine rock it's just this beautiful rock that you don't see very many places and and then a little visual guide pamphlet kind of thing and i thought oh this is cool this'll this wreck wraps around the whole project so it's it has a physical manifestation manifestation a little bit it's not for the whole i didn't I didn't want to make it totally about that, but um, but at least it's it's an option. And I mean, the mentors end up with a nice little sculpture and a nice little little version of their piece to hang on the wall if they like.
1: I imagine that you know, since working with this um, dragging painting through the ocean kind of uh, approach that you've taken for for two decades now, um, that you have already kind of internalized that logic in a sense, because you've learned to work, um, or give over some of that initiative or, or, you know, kind of, um, intention, right. Uh, to nature. So that that's one way of, I guess, relinquishing, uh, control, but then I, I imagine that relinquishing control to code, um, might be a bit of a different thing. D- did you have a uh, kind of different, you know, mindset or, or how did you feel, uh, working with code as, as the, uh, the kind of entity that you kind of relinquish control to, as opposed to nature.
0: That's good. A good, like look at it. Cause well, okay. Giving away control in both circumstances is pretty, felt the same to me on one hand. I'm nervous because you've worked so hard on something and then you give it, give it away to something else to finish in essence. Um, But what has overwhelmed that since throwing the first painting in and since testing the first bit of code is the excitement to see what happens. I'm, I am I guess, secure enough in what I'm doing that I, I want to push towards the excitement. Like I love pulling a painting out of the water and I love hitting refresh and seeing what a new testament makes. I probably love that too much. It's, a, <laughs> it's like a weird obsession of mine now. I think I've probably testamented I don't know thousands of this piece to ensure that it it works, but also just because it's it's like so compelling to me. Uh, so really, it's the excitement that overwhelms the nerves or or fear that it won't work. And with the code, it's it's actually a little bit better because you're not releasing or it's not necessarily finished yet. Like you just keep testing it, keep changing it around until you know it it works. The paintings, it could be a little more frustrating, I guess, because you have this big physical piece of linen. It's been hand painted for a long time and it could be, it could totally disappear in a, in a second, you know, why that, that work. Whereas the code, it doesn't really disappear. It's like, okay, let's change the organization of, of the colors or this one color isn't working well. Okay. We'll, we'll take that out, of, out of the list of colors. Like it's more adaptive than, than a physical painting. Uh, and now I'm just in trouble because I'm I'm really in love with this process, and I have to get better at coding myself. So I I guess that's the the difficult the tricky part is not not being this expert developer that you know tends to be the ones on on art blocks because that takes ten thousand hours of learning, and I'm I've only had nine months of getting there. So I, I'd like to you know I guess that part's a little stressful. I want to I want to get better at that.
1: If you know what I mean, like you know, you're not gonna expect something totally, um, I suppose, distant from anything that you've done in the series, because obviously, you know, obviously the, the the speed of the water and things like that um, is going to, you know, change that patterning. But it's not going to be something uh, totally <laughs> unexpected. Whereas I, I would have imagined that with the code, um, and since this is your first time working in this mode that you know there's something akin to it um
0: it's it's something like an an immaculate conception right you're not quite sure yeah well well with paintings i probably know about 70 percent of what's going to happen there's a lot of factors in the temperature of the water the coloration certain colors disappear faster than others how it's hitting the wake but yeah i do at this point know kind of what's happening with the development of the spring begins it was I mean it, it took a it took an arch of about nine months um, to really get it totally perfect. but so the beginning, yeah, it was what I saw in my mind was not <laughs> was not coming out like that. and what I wanted in the end seemed sort of impossible. and it took building up a more complex Idea of it, and then breaking that back down to get, get to the final idea that I I like and I wanted. And um, so it took; it was a learning curve, basically. And there are much more complicated generative pieces along that curve than this. This is, I mean, it's complicated, but it's, it's not as complicated. So once I hit that sort of peak of complication of the learning curve and started going back down it became more predictable. I knew, I knew, I knew basically what I was getting and I could start to think a little more abstractly, I guess, about, you know, okay, I figured out how this patterning is going to work. I figured out some of the colors now where conceptually, what can this go from here? Is this a future looking thing, which I feel like it is So it should be, you know, it should maybe feature these portals that some of the works have. I think that that's kind of a peek into it, into the future and I could get more flexible once I'd, you know, learned a little bit about it. And it's the same with the paintings. Now I know if I use this much watercolor and this much acrylic, it's probably going to leave faster. If I go this speed of the boat, it's going to do this. And it felt really similar. Like once you got the, it's like if you were building a house and you had the, wow. it's like yeah, if you have the blueprint and then you start adding on features to it, like windows or another floor or anything really. once you once the structure's there, you can kind of start rolling. So at this point, I feel like they're pretty they're pretty similar, actually. Probably know more of what's gonna happen in the in the generative pieces actually this
2: point. <laughs> you're um, sort of very uh, well-known uh, in the contemporary art scene and then you're sort of crossing over into sort of the, the NFT scene. Um, how how do you feel just based on sort of what you know and what your expectations are as to, you know, what the similarities and differences are going to be between, um, I guess, the collectors um, of your NFT pieces?
0: I, lo- I love this question because <laughs> i I'm really happy to be in both worlds because I find it fascinating that there are a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. And one of the biggest differences is the collector interaction. I mean, I have a lot of collectors of my physical work that are friends, but that I think isn't normally the case. I think mainly the gallery deals with those interactions and you have studio visits and things, but that's, you know, that's about it. Whereas in in this world, in the NFT world, there seems to be an abundant amount of communication with collectors and an expectation from collectors of of pretty much immediate access to the artists um, and collectors, you know, being on Twitter. Hey, show me your art. I'm going to buy some art. Those kind of things, which those things, I think that's kind of that's cool. You can find, discover new art that you never would have found otherwise that doesn't tend to happen in the, in the traditional art world. So, I mean, in general, I think it's good. I think more communication is, is, is preferred, but it's a little stressful too. I mean, I don't have much of it yet. Cause I, I haven't had my work released or anything, but just the, the idea of, you know, being on Twitter and discord and a little tiny bit Instagram communicating all the time with the people collecting your work and seeing how work is flipped and things like that uh, is a, is a new experience for me. I mean, the flipping part is, you know, that's a very taboo thing to do in the physical art world, but is totally normal and, and fine in the NFT world. So that's, I mean, I guess another difference of how people interact with collectors um, the transparency too is another difference. Like there's not much transparency in the physical art world, but basically infinite transparency in the in the NFT world. So so it's different. I think both both collectors and artists can kind of merge ideas and find a find a nice balance that gives artists the freedom to be quiet if they want to be, or loud if they want to be, or communicative or not, um, whatever ends up creating the best artwork for each person mm-hmm. uh, because both pull on you a little bit in their current forms.
2: In this current iteration of uh, of, of nfts and specifically art blocks nfts, um, the floor price kind of determines you know how much I guess critical uh, reception a particular artist has. Um, like if you look at the most heralded, NFT artists, it tends to be the ones with the highest floor price, especially on art blocks. Um, and, and I'm wondering uh whether this is like similar, different, how do you view it coming from maybe a world where such radical financial comparisons between artists are not so readily apparent on like a second by second basis? And
0: uh, well, I mean, on one hand, the contemporary art world is in love with pricing too. And and monetary advancement of stuff. And both are, you know, it's fine for things to be valued at whatever they're valued, but the ranking concept and the easy accessibility to a ranking that is only related to finances, not what the artist is really doing, um, I think is is bad. I think it's, it's really detrimental. I mean, there's beautiful pieces that could get a low ranking but really in the history of art and then that they might be more important um but yeah their their voices is is muted and yeah i mean that it's a i'm happy for everyone doing doing well but i don't know that i hope that artists don't you know tie their self-worth to this kind of a um, of a monetary idea and that's i mean it is a challenge i think that's where the nft curatorial concepts could evolve a little bit um a lot of my experience talking about nfts with everyone but you know in this case with nft related artists and curators and stuff you know is about money and i don't know it just that doesn't seem reflective of the work and i've been super confused i mean if you go on OpenSea and rank every project, I don't, I couldn't understand why certain ones are higher than, than other ones. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a wild, wild thing to me.
1: What do you think, um, the prospects are for contemporary artists with established careers? Um, In terms of succeeding, uh, or or cross, (laughs) sounds weird, but being a crossover artist and succeeding in an NFT context, and obviously, you know, in in one sense, um, there's no reason why uh, the NFT output of, of these artists should be regarded as somehow separate from
0: their main practice. I think certain artists are able to cross over in in each direction, and certain artists aren't. In my opinion, it's doing doing the work and respecting the medium, and the output should should come from that. I mean if it sells or not, who knows? but if you're making nice work, then then so be it. Um, like you said mentioned Fidenzas, you know Tyler Hobbs makes great murals too. I mean, there's there's an inherent like crossover that it should be irresistible to most artists, I think, but like for me, I didn't want to I didn't want to just like, oh, here's my NFT project,, Whoa, whatever. I wanted to really learn about NFTs, learn about the ways you could use them to improve your art and make something that I felt like was a digital improvement or, or a digital version that, that added something else to the work. Uh, so I think certain artists can, can put in that time and effort and make NFTs that would be acceptable to the NFT community. I mean, the, NFT collector base gets deep in research, which I don't think the physical collectors do as much. And I think if they go deep in the research and understand, oh, okay, this person is a physical painter, but he did all of these complicated things to produce an NFT that I I can appreciate, then that should work. Um, but if people are just regurgitating their physical work as digital work, I mean, I don't I, know that that's necessarily going to be effective and then it can go the other way too i mean digital artists can certainly take that work and translate it to a physical medium i mean in the most simple form prints but you know physical photography paintings what sculpture whatever it may be and i'm seeing the art world starting very slowly to embrace embrace that idea too so it sort of i don't know it sort of goes both ways and the art world is a little more res- resume driven or a lot more resume driven too. I guess that's another thing that everyone has to navigate. I think people with deep physical art resumes might come into the NFT world and think, oh, I'm so-and-so, my, my NFTs will be huge, but the NFT collector base doesn't necessarily care about those resumes. And then on the other side, you know, I'm a, you know, know I'm a successful NFT artist, but I'm 21 years old and I haven't really developed my own artistic voice yet because I'm 21 years old. Like a physical art world person might, you know, not really appreciate that. So it's just navigating the dynamics. And it's funny. I mean, I kind of see these walls that come up on on both sides (laughs) that I think are just silly. It's like, Oh, great. So it's like two camps building walls. It's not, not really the way to go, and I don't think it'll it'll be that way forever.
1: I think some artists are pretty pessimistic that they're that we're going to see some kind of uh, reconciliation there, um, because it's it's like you know it, it's very territorial, and I think there's a lot at stake for the artists that you know basically, as I mentioned, were were nothing uh, or totally unknown just say three years ago. And th- there's a lot at stake on the other side, of course. Um, I'm not just talking about the idea of the gatekeepers being very, you know, <laughs> cagey <laughs> about um, their art historical position and things like
0: that. I'm more optimistic. I just take all this sort of agitation from people with a grain of salt. I mean, I understand why people want to, you know, maintain their position especially ones with a strong position as an nft artist as a physical artist you know whatever and it's risky as an nft artist to let in famous physical artists and it's risky for physical artists to go into nfts because collect some collectors have such a weird perception of of them but I'm I'm optimistic cuz ultimately it should be what are people making what are people trying to say and is is that interesting? Is it compelling? And I think, regardless of your medium, that's what artists are shooting for, and that's what should, you know, rise above. Um, and you're starting to—I mean, you start—we're starting to see a little more crossover and positivity. Um, and I see artists doing, you know, exhibitions in the prominent galleries. I mean, art blocks being at Art Basel and the Venice Biennale, and all all of that and, and gallerists that I know that had no idea what an NFT is now being interested in learning more about it. People were pretty shocked because my work so earthly that I was going into this digital realm at all. And, but once I explain everything that we've been talking about now, they're like collecting NFTs and and sort of embracing it. So I, I think it's just a matter of matter of time and it'll be really fascinating. I li- I mean, I kind of like the transparency, except that it leads to rankings uh, of the NFT world. Maybe that would, mer- you know, maybe some of, some of that stuff would go into the traditional art world. And I really appreciate the design aesthetic of the physical art world. And I think more of that needs to go into the NFT world. So the- I'm optimistic that these things merge. And we actually, the result of it is, Better and bigger creative output in general.
2: In generative art, you have you have some people who who basically say, well, you know, from like Solidwit to say Jared Tarbell, like basically there's nothing in generative NFT art that hasn't been done before, right? Before NFTs came along, so basically everyone that's kind of doing things are is is it's essentially it's, it's not breaking kind of new ground. Right. So everyone's just kind of thinking that they're doing something new, but they're not. And then what I've seen other people say is, is, is kind of to reject the whole, um, I guess art history angle, right. That, that says, okay, you know, things started here and this is kind of the, to, to kind of learn what's, what's gone. Before and then, and then to go forward, but to kind of say that NFTs is a is a is a completely new thing because it's not really about you know trying to trying to continue art history, but basically about uh, sort of infiltrating mass culture, right? And so, so this is uh, I think a huge disconnect that comes because when people look at the rankings on OpenSea and they say, well, it's just It's just like kind of pictures of cats and dogs and monkeys. But then there's a whole new narrative that is basically saying like NFTs is not about continuation of this art historical narrative. It's about kind of like pushing into kind of mass culture, like it's competing with, you know, TVs or movies or or comic books or that kind of thing. So kind of (laughs) branching into sort of mass uh, uh, sort of culture or sort of appealing to mass audiences rather than just like a very niche sort of quote unquote collector audience?
0: Well, there's a lot done back there. Okay. So on one hand, well, the, the kind of infiltration of society, I think it's more, at least I look at it more as a commentary on society versus infiltration necessarily, um, which is, is pretty similar to the dialogue around pop art and when pop art started like the arguments sound pretty parallel but you know that was the commentary on mass consumption and branding and a false american dream but so so i'm kind of okay with these things that are trying to infiltrate culture i wouldn't be okay with just like oh people like i mean no offense to this tv show but like people like csi so i'm making csi and if versions of NFTs, like a sort of obvious rip on something that doesn't go a little deeper, I guess, is a little more annoying. Uh, The tricky thing with NFTs in that vein, too, is like art, people kind of understand what physical art is in general, but NFTs aren't just art. There's, you know, a world of NFTs, so even open see i mean i don't know like determining what is in an art category versus another category is sort of relative and the only reason they're in those categories is for financial research i guess so so it's just a, a different medium a trickier trickier medium to jump into and then the generative art idea of well everything's been done and we're we're just doing a code version of that I mean that's kind of a I don't think that's really correct. I think it's a an adaption or reflection on his on art history. And that occurs in, in all mediums of art. So you know, on one hand you're coding it and putting it on chain, maybe. So is that enough of a commentary? Or do you need to visually comment a little bit deeper? Uh, you know, I mean, that's I'm not sure. I mean, personally, I feel like with mine, it hasn't been done before. The only person that's done those paintings is me, at least as far as I know. And the only, you know, the only person that's made an NFT that merges the physical, physical the earth composing part of it and the computer composing part of it in this way is uh, like I think is mine. There might be a few others, but at least it's still along my creative commentary so maybe it's a little bit, I guess, easier for me to say something on on like how I feel about my own ones, um, but we're just and this is just so new. Like it's a crazy thing that a medium can come over a few year period tops, and and then becomes so prevalent in the world and in the market. Like it's it's like when people take someone out of an MFA program and throw them into a big museum show or or a big gallery space you know it's hard to it's hard to say what whether it's good or bad or anywhere in between until we really see what germinates from the from the process for probably another decade or so. Cole we have we're closing in on um
1: the hour mark but we're gonna finish it off with our traditional last question um, and you can answer it however you want. Um, and the question is, who
0: is your favorite artist? <laughs> I I don't know if I love or hate this question because I I just have so many answers and I never really there's not like one distinct answer for me. So I'll try to well I'll try to make one quickly. When I was very little, I remember sitting in the oval Monet room at the Musée Lingerie in Paris, and I just had the Five minutes, but that was a lot for a little kid, and that was sort of burnt into my memory for a while. There still is. So Monet would be one as a as a kid, and then as a teenager, I sat in 50 days at Ilium Twombly's permanent room in the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and that really jump started my painting. I would say I think I was 17, and so Twombly, you know, for a long time it's really influential in my painting process and then conceptually and maybe my number one would be just boys um for one you you see just Joseph Boyce show and it has all kinds of formats and all kinds of freedom of expression that i think gave me the bravery to do things like like this our blocks project like not think i have to paint all the time i can do things digitally as well, or do you make a sculpture. Like, it's okay. Everything can be art. And then also socially, because he helped found the Green Party in Germany. I just love that and <laughs> think it's, it's really an amazing thing. And it shows how artists can, voices can be amplified for the positive development of society and community and the earth. So I guess I'll go with just boys. Bazian Otter is another one I love who's a little more esoteric. Um, But anyone listening can look him up. His final piece, he sailed across the Atlantic Ocean in a small sailboat. He was meant to land in Rotterdam and a band meet him and take him to his exhibition. But he was lost at sea. And the Spanish Navy uh, found his boat and then somehow the boat also disappeared. And he just is a stunning person with with great physical works, sort of like Chris Burton in a way. So, I guess I'll go with with all of them.
1: Thank you, Cole, for, for coming on. I, I think it's been a great chat and I uh, look forward to both your drop and uh, your other projects coming up. So, thank you and, and all the best for the drop. Uh, thanks thank so much. Thanks for chatting. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Flora's Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM at Flora's Rising.